Jeremiah. Okay, I want to talk about this morning about being born again. Okay, um, it's a funny word if you don't, if you're not familiar with Christianity. Even if you are, you may not know what it is. But we're gonna go and read uh, this famous portion of chapter in John chapter three. But before we do that, I want to just sort of set the table and, and say that I think it's very important that one we understand what it means to be born again what that means for us personally what that means for a church what that means for the world and that we actually live it out okay so that's where that's the things we're going to start with this morning so before we jump into john chapter three if you have bibles or you're following along before we jump to this part i want to just talk about the end of chapter two okay remember when you're studying your bible sometimes it helps to go back a little bit and look forward a little bit just to see where things are happening and at the end of chapter two it's talking about this, and it's talking about Jesus, and it says, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Uh, that's maybe a fancy way of writing. People saw what Jesus was doing. They liked what he was doing. They started to follow him, but he wasn't putting his trust in the people. He wasn't taking on. People wanted to follow him, basically, they, like we would do today. They wanted to make him a celebrity. They wanted to worship him, whatever. And he was saying, you know what, I don't have time for that because he knew uh, the fickle hearts and minds of the crowd. And he knew this was the same crowd that one day would be calling for his blood. But at this time, he said, listen, I'm just going to keep on going. So that's the context. So then we go to verse chapter 3. And there's a line that says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So we'll stop there. Uh, it's hard to explain maybe in modern terms uh, what a Pharisee is and even this Jewish ruling council. Imagine if you were, uh, if you will, a member of parliament who was also like um, part of a pastor's council that ran all the churches in the whole country combined. Okay, so Nicodemus not only was he smart, not only was he influential, he was definitely rich, and he had a lot of religious power and influence and a lot of social power and influence. There's not many people like that today, but just imagine, in one sense, he wouldn't be a celebrity like we call them. They didn't have that sort of thing, but he'd been very meaningful, powerful. What he said mattered, where he went mattered, and because he was a Pharisee, just to recap those of you who may not be sure who they were, they were a political party and a religious party in, 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 in Judaism. They had um, basically were well known for following rules to the T. They would ma make up a bunch of rules. They would say, these are 40 things you can't do you know, when you go to till the ground. These, when you sit down to the meal, these are the 60 things you have to do. They were known for this sort of rule keeping and so on. And um, that's a very five-cent version of explaining who the Pharisees were. They were devout religious people, but that's what they were kind of known for. So they were known for uh, appearing very religious, very pious. Okay, so this guy, Nicodemus, was one of them. So he's powerful, he's inch, I influential. Now remember, you had just heard before that the crowds had been seeing him before miracles, and actually not long before that, he had done the water into wine at the wedding. You know, So for sure, Nicodemus, being part of the Jewish ruling council, being powerful and influential, would have at least heard of what was going on. He may even have seen some of it as he stood around. We don't know about that. But he, anyway, the next thing says, he came to Jesus at night and said, okay, so we're not going to bash on Nicodemus here, but it's something that we need to think about even in our own lives. It says that Nicodemus, a powerful member of the Jewish ruling council, came to Jesus at night. Now, there's a reason he came to Jesus at night. Anybody want to hazard a guess? It's because he did not want to be seen going to see Jesus. 
And again, remember, even at night here it gets dark, right? But we have massive street lights and car lights and we can put a floodlight on things. Back then, night was only lit by fire, right? So it was dark, right? He wanted to make sure that as he walked through the streets or walked into wherever Jesus was, that nobody could see him because he was a little bit maybe embarrassed. We don't know. I'm not going to assign motivations to him, and I'll speak to him one day to ask him. But, um, you know, we don't know why he, you know, probably he was worried about his power and his influence and whatever. We're going to infer from that. But either way, can't we all be like that? Some of us have interest in the things of God. We want to look to God, whatever, but we don't want to be seen to be doing it. We may not, you know, oh my gosh, if, if my friends know I'm going to church, I'm going to look like, I'm going to look silly. You know, oh my goodness, if my wife only knew that I was, you know, reading the Bible and getting interested in God, she'd think I'm crazy. That's kind of the idea here, okay? So he, but he did it. He at least went to Jesus. See, that's a good thing. At least he went. Sure, he used the cover of darkness, but he went. Okay, and he says, Rabbi, so you have to understand that's a recognition right there, right away that, that Nicodemus is giving to him, that he, he's acknowledging that Jesus is a teacher. And he says, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. This is an important distinction because many of the people at the time, even religious Pharisees who are watching the signs Jesus said, there's another story in the Bible about this. Remember, some of them said, oh, he's doing it by the power of Satan. And then Jesus made the famous saying that we still use to this day, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. He's saying, what are you talking about? Why would Satan drive out Satan and you're being crazy? But Nicodemus isn't part of that crew. You can see already the inner sense, wait a second, there's no way this is happening if God isn't in this. There's something here. Now, remember, it's important right away to recognize that Nicodemus knows Jesus is not a Pharisee. He's not acting like a Pharisee. He's not living like a Pharisee. But all of a sudden, through Jesus' life and ministry, is this power of God being shown. So Nicodemus is interested. How become, how come, what Jesus is doing is producing all this amazing fruit, all this amazing miracles, but what I'm doing, I don't see it. So I'm going to go see, Rabbi, I know you're a teacher. It's a good start. He believed what he saw. Okay? Now that's okay to start there. He believed what he saw. As, you know, as Jesus himself pointed out to, to, the, to the people he was preaching when he was here on earth, it's easy to believe what you see, but it's not so easy to believe when you can't see it. So Jesus goes on to start talking now and he ends up saying the most famous verse known throughout the world, but let's start here. This becomes a passage known the world over. We need to understand why we need to grasp it and live by it. So Jesus says, very truly I tell you, your old versions, if you're reading the older English versions, will say verily, okay? Uh, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Okay? So the rabbi, the, the, excuse me, Nicodemus comes, asks him this question, how are you doing this, what's going on? And Jesus doesn't answer and say, well, you know, I'm anointed by God, and so God the Father is with me, and I and the Father are one, she has done, and so that's how I'm doing. He makes it personal right to Nicodemus, and he says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, born again. Today, even people who aren't believers have heard this term, born again. Okay? Um, for you, maybe it's the first time you've ever heard it, but especially in the English-speaking world, especially in North America, uh, it is something that is known. Okay, now I want to be clear that this phrase has become, uh, the word I want to use is sullied, but maybe a better word is dirtied a lot of the world, especially in North America. But the idea of born again Christians, ugh, 
And we don't like born-again Christians. Some of that is because of the way born-again Christians behave, right? Some of it is because of certain political things going on in the world. We're not going to get into that right now, okay? But we need to reclaim or rip away the title of born-again from those things and understand that being born-again has nothing to do with what political party you vote for, has nothing to do with what church you go to. Being born-again is something completely different that we're going to talk about. So Jesus says to him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Now Nicodemus, remember, he is intelligent. This man is educated. He would have gone to the equivalent of university back then. He would have a PhD, maybe several PhDs, given his position of, of his time. And so he says, he goes all practical, he goes all rational. He comes with a spiritual question. He says, I see the Spirit of God, I see the power of God moving through you, Rabbi. How does it work? Jesus gives him the spiritual answer, but then, like us all the time, he gets all practical. He forgets what he's asking, and he goes, wait a second, wait a second. He says, how can someone be born again when they're old? Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's room to be born. We don't know if he's being sarcastic. We don't know if he's kind of like, what are you, crazy? Or if he's genuinely asking. But we know he's basically, Jesus, like, that's a weird thing to say. What do you mean? You know, you can't go back into your, your mother's womb. We can't be sure of his attitude if he's sincere or, or whatever. But we start to see something here that at least he's asking. Okay, and I want to remind you that when you're faced with the idea of who Jesus is and what he's done, at least ask. And Jesus gave an answer, and then he starts going, oh, I'm not too sure I'm comfortable with your answer. So Jesus realizes he's got to keep on going. Now, Nicodemus comes up again in the Bible, twice. Okay, and we're going to look at that later. And it's very important. Remember where he is now, and remember where he goes. So Jesus answers him again. He says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. I want to stop there for a second. Just understand what he said, what Jesus is saying there. It's very simple. Flesh, when the Bible talks about the flesh, it, it's not just meaning this, flesh, okay, skin. It's talking about that human nature. Okay, so he's saying human nature, humans give birth to humans. Human nature gives birth to things that are human. Okay? Make sense? And I've lost my place. There we go. But the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. So you should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. What he's saying to Nicodemus is, if you knew the Spirit of God, you would understand what I said. Okay, that's what he's trying to tell him. He's trying to get him to wriggle. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What he's saying is people who know the Spirit of God, people who have God with them, just move wherever the Spirit moves, not with the rational ideas of man. Okay? Now that's not to say that Christianity is not rational. I want to be careful to you folks out there. What it means is that the rational is in subservience. The rational is in... Uh, uh, too big of a word, subservience. Rash, the rational bows to the spiritual. Okay, so that's how, as we get to later, Jesus can rise from the dead, which rationally is not a thing. But rationally, if Jesus is God, then of course it's rational that he can rise from the dead. You see how it works? The spirit overranks the natural. The natural bows to the spirit. So now, Nicodemus, before he gives a sarcastic, maybe a, a confused answer, now he just says, wait a second, how can this be? He just asks straight out. He wants to hear more. And Jesus to be honest, goes a little bit tough on him. He says, you're Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things? 
He's saying, so you, your whole life, you've been studying the scripture. You've got three PhDs or whatever the equivalent was. You're on the ruling council, and you don't get this? That's what Jesus is saying. Now, this is a warning to all of us who are pious and religious. You can read the Bible a thousand times over and backwards and miss what's right in front of you. That's what Jesus is saying. So Jesus says, very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, we testify to what we've seen. But still, you people don't accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and then you don't believe it. How will then you believe if I speak of heavenly things? You see, he's saying, I did earthly things. I mean, I turned water into wine. That's earthly. Water and wine are both earthly things. I made one, I made one and the other, and you didn't believe. You just want to know more. So what makes, you believe, what makes me think you're going to believe the things of the Spirit? And then he goes on to say, uh, down, let's jump to verse 16, because we, and, and look at everybody the world over. Do you have that picture? You'll put that picture up for me, Jeremiah. There's a picture I have. No, oh, next one. There. See, this is a football game, some random football game in the NFL. And if you can see, uh, those of you who are watching at home, in the middle, right under the goalpost, is a sign that says John 316. And for years, at football games, hockey, whatever, sports games everywhere, this sign has been put up. It's probably the most well-known Bible verse in the whole world, regardless of language and whatever. It was spoken by Jesus, and this is why it's so uh, meaningful, so important. Remember the context of it. Jesus is saying this one-on-one to a man who's asking a question. How do I know who God is? How do I understand who God is? And this is what Jesus tells him. So if you're at home right now, if you're here right now, if you're wherever you are right now, and you're going, how do I know who God is? What is God saying? What is God doing? This is Jesus' answer to the same question being asked by Nicodemus. Okay? And this is what Jesus said. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send him... His son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That second one is verse 17. Okay? So, in verse 16 and 17, Jesus unveils to Nicodemus the entire plan of humanity's salvation. That's it. Now, the disciples who are sitting around him, listening to what he's saying to Nicodemus, they're writing this down. Like, this is, this is big. This is big. Right? They're writing this down. All of the plan of God, from the moment Adam and Eve first sinned in the Garden of Eden, and humanity's been awaiting a Savior and salvation to bring us back into right relationship with our Creator. And the whole time it was God, the Creator, making the way for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we're going to go back, go into verse 16 and look at some key words. And I'm not going to bore you with Greek and Hebrew today. It's not about that. We're going to look at the words plain for our, those were in English church, so we'll look at them in English. Okay, but make it as plain as possible. Don't overcomplicate. Don't dig too deep into this verse. It very clearly says some simple things. One, let's start with God. For God. He did it. God started it. God ended it. It's all his work. It doesn't belong to anybody else. It wasn't anybody else's idea. From the beginning, as I said before, from the beginning of time and until the end of whatever uh, God does with creation, God is in control, he's in charge, and it's all his plan. God did this. It's not of us. It's not of anybody else. It's not any political structure. It's not any spiritual structure. It's not any church structure. It's no man. It's no woman. It's God. Okay? That makes sense? Let's move on to... So loved, love. So yes, God really does love us. He created us, and he loves us, even me and you. Okay? 
even me and you. The second you ever think, maybe God doesn't love me, you can be 100% assured that God actually loves you. God even loves the people you think God shouldn't love. And that should make you so happy. Because if God loves the people you have a hard time loving, that means he'll never have a hard time loving you. Trust me, the most evil person you can think of, in your opinion, God loves that person. And God loves that person as much as he loves me. Sure, God is more pleased maybe with the way I might live my life, that I've dedicated my life to him and that I pray and then I read all those things. God might be more pleased, but he doesn't love the other any less. And that should be freeing to us all to understand that God's unbounded love, unmeasurable love, love without measure, is given to everybody in equal measure. So you, everybody gets all. If it was any other way, it wouldn't be fair. If it was any other way, it wouldn't be fair. And you could say God's love isn't unconditional. God's love isn't fair. You could say that, but you can't say that because God's love is for everybody. Okay, next. That he gave. Gave. Remember I said it started with God? You can't make God love you. Isn't that great? Because no one can earn God's love because he's given it to everybody in all measure. That's amazing. Because then again, it would be unfair. If I could do something that Fabrizio couldn't and that God liked it, it wouldn't be fair. But the fact that we both can do the same things that, to make God love us. And what is that? Nothing. He loves us. It's God's, uneer, uh, God's gift. It's unearned and it's free. Romans 6.23, I think I have it there, tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some other versions add the free gift of God. It's a gift without strings. Right? It's not like, you know, the husband who wants to play tennis, so for Christmas he buys him and his wife a set of tennis rackets. Really, he's buying it for himself. Right? It's got strings attached. But it's not like that. It's not like the boss who comes and says, well, I'm going to give you a raise, but I need you to do 10 more hours a week. Well, it's not a raise you're paying me for the 10 hours I'm working. Right? It's not, no strings attached. Because he took all of the cost of the gift. We're going to get there. Okay, so that he gave. So people with more money than you, more talent than you, more means than you, more health with you, they could maybe do more and earn more. But no, God gave this gift. There's no price tag. There's no price tag for us to pay because Jesus paid it all on the cross of Calvary. And now we're going to talk about Jesus because the next word we're going to look at, go back to the John 3.16, is the words one and only. So since God gave his one and only son. Folks, in today's pluralistic world, I love our world. I love our country. I love the fact that we can all say and do as we please. But the truth is, there's a part of Christianity that is very unpopular. Well, it would be unpopular for any religion, but particularly Christianity. And that is, as Acts 4.12 tells us, there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. Okay? Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to my one mankind to which we must be saved. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except 
through me, John 14, 6. And then earlier when he was talking to Nicodemus, what did he say? No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. There is an exclusionary reality to Jesus. He is the only way. Now, I know many people think that's unfair, but I'll ask you to think about it on the flip side. I'm comforted knowing there's one way that I don't have to look a thousand different places in a thousand different ways and maybe like one more than the other or one is harder than the other. One way. Follow Jesus. Now, the next good news is the next word. Go back to the John 3.16. This is the next good word. I think back again to the John 3.16.17. So, his one and only son, that whoever... It's another good word. There's a really great Christian clothing line. I wanted to get one of the shirts, but it was like 35 bucks US, and then to ship it here with customs and all that, Val would have been mad at me. So it's, a, it's called the Whoever's. That's what they call their, their company, is called the Whoever's. This is great news for everybody. Who is whoever? Well, it's you, it's me, it's her, it's him, it's that guy, it's whoever. You are never too far away from God. You might seem too bad or too broken or too silly or too messed up, but the promise of the word of God is right here. Jesus is saying this to Nicodemus. Whoever, Nicodemus, you with all your power and influence and whatever, you too, but also the pauper and the Roman and the whoever. Whoever. Whoever what? Whoever believes. That's it right there. So whoever believes, oh, what about that guy? Yeah, him too. What about that person? Yeah, that person too. There's no one you can name or think of who God won't accept if they believe. And don't tell me, well, do they believe right and all that? Leave that up to God, okay? You're not God's chief policeman. He is his own chief policeman. He doesn't need us, okay? So it just says, whoever believes. That's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus here. He's saying, just believe, Nicodemus. You don't have to understand what I'm saying. Every time you see Nicodemus was like, oh, let me, I want to know the secret sauce. I want to know all the ingredients. And Jesus is saying, God, just whoever believes, believes what? That Jesus Christ came in human flesh to save us from our sins. And as we continue to know in his life, as we talked about the same crowd that he rejected all the praise from, because he knew one day they'd be the crowd that called for his death, he's saying all of them too are included in this. He suffered the punishment of the cross, and by doing so he defeated death, sin, and hell, and that on the third day he rose again from the dead, and he's coming back again, and that he sent his spirit to be with us and guide us daily until that day. Amen? That's Christianity. Believe that, and you are Born again. Well, it can't be that simple. No, it is. Yes, sure, there's things that come with it. Water, baptism, baptism by the Spirit, and and so on and so forth. But don't overcomplicate something which Jesus simplified for us. Sure, if someone says, oh, yeah, I think I believe. Like, uh, believe means something you believe deep down inside, you know? it's, It's more than just something that you're really convinced of. For example, you know, uh, I'll, take, I'll make it very local Montreal, right? Oh my gosh, the Montreal Canadiens signed a bunch of free agents, got a bunch of good young players. I really believe they're going to be good next season. All the belief in the world won't matter once they hit the ice. They're either going to win or lose and be good or be bad. and It doesn't matter how much I believe it, it's irrelevant. Okay? You might really believe in your own ability to do something. I might be really believe that if I really tried hard, I could draw better than Fabrizio. I'm using him a lot today. Because it's his birthday, by the way. Happy birthday, Fabrizio. 
I might believe that I can draw, but he's a professional animator. And I can believe to myself to the end of the world, and it won't make a difference. He can draw a circle without using any tools. I can't even do that. You see what I'm saying? That, but kind of, it's not that type of belief. It's believing and saying, God, I understand what you did. I believe it. I put my trust in God. You're not believing in yourself. You're believing in what Jesus did. Okay? Bible tells us in 1 Peter 1, I believe I have that one. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's 1 Peter uh, 1. I think I have that. There it is. Praise be. There's something that's interesting in there. I love the idea of a living hope. You see, some of us might get hope for something and then that hope dies out. But when you know Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit's within you, you have a living hope. It's 24-7, always alive, always in you hope. You're born again. Your old life is gone. Your new life is here. The Bible and Jesus' ministry are full of these moments where Jesus says something, does something, and people have these born-again moments. So I want to ask you, the folks that are here, the 20 of us are here, those of you watching online, do you have that moment? Do you remember your born-again moment? A moment of radical and meaningful transformation. The moment where you realize you were dead to sin and alive to God. Or the moment you became a new creation. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 5.17? We talk about this one a lot. I've been using this for the last few months. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Does anybody remember that moment in your life? Do you remember it? Because you were born again. It was almost like going back into your mother's womb and coming out and being, oh my goodness, everything's changed. Everything's changed. I may have told the story before, but it helps. I remember the moment I first understood, I believed. I remember the first moment I believed. Listen, I was brought up at church. I went to church more than anybody. I can't remember. I went to church like three times a week, and I was always in church growing up. I went to church so much, my parents forgot me at church once. A true story. <laughs> true story. Okay, when I was about eight years old. And they only remember when they got back to the West Island. They had to turn back and come get me in for done. Okay, that's how much I went to church. I was like furniture. They didn't even realize I was still there. Okay? So you could say, I always believed, but I didn't. I knew and I accepted. I accepted the maxims, but there was a point where I came to believe. And I was at a church camp. Man, I wish we had those again. And I was at a church camp one week, and there was a meeting going on. And all the adults, I was with my best friend at the time. So I was 10, he was 11. He's still my best friend. I shouldn't say he's not my best friend. And I was 10, he was 11. And the, the, the congregation was worshiping. And now, at 10 and 11, you know, first of all, back in our days, guys, no smartphones. We weren't allowed to, like, mess around during church. So uh, while the service was going on, we were, like, just kind of, you know, standing there. We might sing because we knew the songs and whatever, but we weren't, like, in it, you know. But something was different that day. I'm not even sure it was a morning or an evening. I was 10, though. I remember it was 1988. And something of what was being sung about and the Spirit of God just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I went from accepting everything my parents said about God to knowing and believing what Jesus did and who he said he was and all that stuff. And something just broke in me. I'll never forget. And a, a dear apostle at the time, my friend's grandfather, Pastor David Morris, came up to pray with me and with a couple other young people. And at that moment, I had that born-again experience. I can still point it today 34 years later. Sorry, I'm not that old. 32 years later. 
and remember that without. And you say, oh, well, I've never had that. Then have it today. Don't wait. And listen, throughout your life, there'll be other moments in your life where God impacts your life and so on. But there's that born-again moment where you realize, I'm up, I'm transformed, I'm different. I may screw up from here on out, but from that moment on forward, I'm different. I'm dead to sin, I'm alive to Christ, I'm a new creation. If you feel like your love's gone cold, you feel like that new birth has gone cold, well then stir it up. You may feel like I'm fighting it. Now, those of you who know, hear me preach enough, know I usually bring C.S. Lewis into... into, uh, sermons because I love reading him. I'm reading him all the time. So he, and I love this story he told. He talked about when he became a Christian. If you don't know, C.S. Lewis was an atheist. He thought any idea of Christianity was pure folly, silly, stupid. But he came to understand the love of Christ. And this is what he said. He goes, I gave in and admitted that God was God. I knelt and prayed, perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. See, he didn't have a wonderful moment. He had a, I, I'm, I've been wrong this whole time. All the ideas, all the mocking I did of Christianity, all the silly ideas I had, they were all silly. God is God. And he bent the knee and he was born again. And then after that, he went Chronicles and Narnia and he made all these amazing things. So you see what God does uh, with these things. And now we can look at Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus who snuck around to see Jesus at night? This powerful, influential guy. Remember him? And he snuck around and he met Jesus at night. We run into Nicodemus two more times in the Bible. Okay, to watch what happens to somebody when they encounter Jesus. He comes up two more times. First, when the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, is calling for Jesus' arrest, Nicodemus comes up and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Maybe we should hear what Jesus has to say. You see, he was so impacted by what happened in his, in his, 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 his time with Jesus that he wants to give Jesus time to say. He's basically saying, you guys got to hear what I heard. You see, maybe he's regretting now that he didn't go back and tell everybody. I don't know. But you can read about that in, John, in, in the book of John. But, but, As time goes on, the most impactful time we hear about Nicodemus again is, anybody know? After Jesus' crucifixion. Here now, influential, rich Nicodemus, who would sneak around at night, now when Jesus has been killed and murdered on the cross, and it's time to bury bury him, he goes and purchases the burial spices. He uses that which he has to come and honor Jesus. Okay, and he helps prepare his body for burial. And he helps with Joseph Arimathea, who gives the uh, tomb to him. And now all of a sudden you have a man who used to sneak around at night to talk to Jesus. Something's been transformed in him. Something's changed in him. And now he's openly saying, not just to the Jews, but to the Romans too, I am on this guy's side. And I'm going to do what I can to honor him. And I can't even express to you how expensive all the, all the spices and perfumes and stuff he bought was very expensive. And he was just saying, I don't care anymore. I'm going to, out in the broad daylight, broad daylight, identify myself as one of Jesus' followers. You see, so he started sneaking around, maybe even being sarcastic to Jesus, like, oh, I go back into my mom's womb. <laughs> right? He went from that to being there at the darkest hour to be on Jesus' side. That is being born again. And in your own life, you may have experienced stuff like that, and I encourage you to tell other people. But the Bible is full of these stories. Go and read. Do you know about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus felt inadequate. 
Can you imagine Zacchaeus? First of all, he was a tax collector. And I've taught this many times from this pulpit. But guess what? Tax collectors were about as popular then as they are now. Nobody liked them. It was even worse back then because they were considered traitors to the Jewish people working for the Romans. Okay? And Zacchaeus had that against him, and he wanted to see... But to make matters worse, Zacchaeus was short. Okay? We don't know how tall he was. It doesn't matter. So short that he just, he climbed a tree to see Jesus. You see, Zacchaeus, he knew, this guy doesn't want to talk to me. One, I'm a tax collector. I'm a short whatever. Nobody wants to talk to me. I just want to see him. I just... I just want to see him. I can tell you this right now. If he was a tax collector, it's without question he was dishonest. Okay, back then there was all sorts of side deals and whatever. But he knew something was about this guy, and he's, I'm going to climb the tree just so I can see him. Right? And Jesus, of course, being God, he walks through and he stops. And he says, I bet you went out. Who's that guy? Oh, that's Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector. Don't talk to him. Bet you that's what happened. And Jesus would have said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to come stay in your house. He's got, I'm going I'm to give you a new birth. You watch. And then all the crowd goes, oh, uh, uh, I can't believe Jesus is going to go and stay with the tax collector because that's what he does. Whoever believes. And then Jesus goes and has dinner with Zacchaeus and all his friends who are like unsavory and not people that we want to be around. And Jesus is talking to them and he's saying, hey, the kingdom of God has come to this house today. How about the lady at the well? It's a famous Bible story. If you don't know it, I'm trying to tell it quickly, but let's put it straight. The woman slept around. Okay? And in that time, it was really bad, and you could get you killed. And what happened was she had been surrounded, and people wanted to kill her. Sorry, the woman getting stoned in adultery. And people wanted to kill her. And then Jesus, he, uh, he says to her, hey, Sorry, he says to the crowd, he says to the crowd, hey, uh, which of you guys didn't sin here? Which of you guys haven't sinned? Right? And I love the story. I've said it before. The crowd kind of like looks at each other, and the oldest guys, right, the wiser guys are like, I'm going to go now. <laughs> right? Because they realize, all the way down to the youngest guy, realize, whatever. And then the lady says to him, he says to the lady, who's left? And she looks up. And I've got to tell you something that's amazing about this. Jesus never looked up this whole time. He's drawing in the sand. I was talking to my friend James about this week. I wonder what he was drawing. My friend James thinks that maybe he was uh, writing the Ten Commandments in the sand. You know? and, he says, and he says to the lady, who's left? She says, nobody's here. He goes, oh, great. Nobody's left? Well, I don't condemn you either. He says, but. What does he say, folks who are here? Go and sin no more. See, he gives her a transformation Right? What about, uh, I was reading, um, I don't know if you saw this, in China, uh, where the government is persecuting the church, they've changed this story. Do you know that? In the official Bible that they're trying to get in people's hands. They've changed the story of the adulterous woman. Where in the Chinese version, written by the Communist Party, all the people leave, and when when Jesus says to her, who is left, and she says, nobody. Then Jesus picks up the stones and kills her. And says, well, if nobody upholds the law, then there is no law. Basically. Right? Yeah, but we all shake our heads. We see, but that's... You see, 
It's so powerful, that story of transformation, that those who hate the church realize you've got to change it. You can't, you can't leave Jesus like this because that's really attractive. So the people who are paid to make sure that people don't get the truth change that ending because they realize the power of transformation and being born again that that woman had. What about Lazarus? Talk about being born again. He was dead. He was dead. But Jesus called out to him and says, Lazarus, come forth. So here's the fo- here's folks. We're all dead. To, we're all in sin. We need to be born again. You know, the, I tell you every week, I find, I hope to stay safe, but the Lord always gives me these physical representations to help me preach. So yesterday, my wife and I were at Walmart looking for something. My daughter wanted something to put something up on the walls. And you know, um, some packages like thin cardboard, or no, she wanted earphones, and a piece of thin cardboard sliced my finger open. You know? Actually, I didn't even realize, and I, I got blood on the package in the store. Put that one back. And, um, and uh, I'm, I'm bleeding there in the store. And about like, oh, uh, ow. You know paper cuts can hurt. This one was a cardboard cut a little deeper. Ow, ow. But I'll show you how sin can creep up on you. So then we were driving home, and Val says, stop it. Loblaws or Provigo, stop there for a minute, go and get something. Now, because I was just running in to get one thing, Val's not going to come with me, right? She stays in the car. I-, I run inside. I'm doing a mile a minute, running around. And then when I get into the store, now thanks to COVID, what do we all do? Clean our hands with hand sanitizer. Well, who forgot that they had a cut on their finger? <laughs> so I just take a big glove of hand sanitizer, and I go, ooh, and I'm like, oh, like I was like, ah, like that, like, ah. See, the small little cut, just like sin, sometimes it can be so small, but boy, when something hits it, ooh, you feel it, right? You feel it. But, but, I mean, I hate to be flippant with this sort of analogy I'm using right now, but when the Holy Spirit comes on you, like that hand sanitizer, sure it hurts, but now I know the cut is protected. I'm like, that might have hurt for a minute, but now I know I'm sanitized. Right? So in the same way, sometimes God comes in your life and he shows you that little paper cut. And you feel it. But when you're born again, you realize, ah, I'm not sanitized, I'm saved. Amen? Let's keep on going. There's so much scripture here. I'm going to end soon. I know I've been a while today, but I got excited about this one. Go back to 1 Peter tells us this. For you have been, I believe I have that one there. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. There it is. No, you had it. It's the second to last slide. Yay. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So when you come to, actually, I'll give you some context, okay? Let's give you some context. Through him, through Jesus, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Not yourself anymore. Not the political structures of the world. Not your family. Not your job. Your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that, since you, um, so that you have sincere love for each other, love each other deeply from the heart for you've been born again, as we say here. Amen? And we're going to end here with this part, because I think this just like crazy speaks. It's, if, if, if someone told me that this was written for the pandemic of 2020, I would believe them. And it's in a book people don't often talk from. Let's go to Titus. Okay? Can you just put up the verse there? That's the main verse. Okay, but listen to the beginning of Titus 3. Listen now in the context of what's going on in our world today. 
Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle to everyone. Ugh. I feel like posting that every time anybody posts anything pro or anti whatever. Okay? On the internet. I'm going to say it one more time. You want to know how to live as a Christian, as a born-again Christian, someone who's been changed from the inside out, radically transformed by the love and power of God? Listen to the type of person we are. Remind people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and be gentle towards everyone. Wow. Imagine the power the church would wield in society if we lived to this. You want to know why the church in China is growing so far, so fast and so hard, and why they see miracles, and why they're, they're, everybody that tries to crush them, they always survive? Because they live like this. That's why. Listen, because he's saying at one time we too were foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all sorts of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. So he's saying, you used to live like this. You used to be screaming at everybody. You used to be angry. You used to care more about this and care about other things that don't matter. And have all these passions and pleasures and hot, we would call them, and hot takes and yelling at people and hating your political opponents and hating your religious opponents and hating your national opponents and hating whatever. We used to be like that, but when God came, he saved us. He made us born again. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Now ready, here we go. Titus, here's the part. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, who he poured out like sanitizer on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Amen? Amen? Born again people. You may say, well, hold on, I need more information. Okay, this is already answered in Titus. Okay, let's keep on going. Here's a trustworthy saying, and I want, listen, listen, the author says, I want to stress these things so that those who trust in God may be careful to devote to themselves to what is good. These are excellent and profitable for everybody. Avoid foolish controversies. I'm going to say one more, maybe twice. Avoid foolish controversies. Private. <laughs> in parentheses, social media. Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Not, not they have some value, but they're not that worth. Useless. Right? That's what anybody comes to with these lies of it. Well, being born again, you know, you've got to understand that we're seven generations away from this and 11 generations from that, and it's been 2,000 years, whatever. Useless! Don't give me that garbage. And the Hebrew word year is the year 5811. And if you take the five, that means eyes. If you take the eight, that means ox. You take the one. Useless! It's all garbage. It has nothing to do with being born again. Listen to what it says. Okay? Listen to this now. Let me get real. Warn a divisive person once, then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped 
and sinful, they are self-condemned. And as Pastor Omri said last week, and I'm picking up on it, the prophetic, and I use the word very loosely, the pathetic movement of prophetic out there, all the prophesying that's going on right now, these people right here, the word of God is telling me, they are warped and sinful and self-condemned. God bless them. I pray for them because I, I am concerned for them on the day of judgment. Folks, you're born again. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to do math to be saved. Does, does that, okay? You don't have to figure things out. Jesus did it all on the cross. He paid it all on the cross. And he's inviting you to a life today, a transformed life, made brand new by the love, listen to what it says, rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, who poured out generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He's not pouring out in little bits. He's not pouring out in just enough. He's pouring out in more than you could ever hope or imagine, more than anything you need. You can be born again. And you might be asking again, wait a second, you might be like Nicodemus, he goes, what do you mean, how do I do it? Just say, Jesus, I'm hearing what this guy is talking about. I believe what he's saying. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you came, just like John 3.16 says, that God loves the world so much that you came to save us from our sins and that I will not die but have everlasting life I believe in you. I believe in that. You say that right now, the Bible tells me if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you are saved. You are born again. So my question to you, first of all, is if you're not born again, if you haven't had that experience and you're hearing this this morning, Come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You, don't, you can be behind a screen. You can be wherever you're at. Contact us, email us, phone us, direct message us, whatever it is. Come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to wait for me. You don't need a priest to bless you. You don't need anything. You can do it right now, where you are, wherever you are. Those of you who are born again, you've had that experience, but you feel like things have gone a bit cold. You feel like that maybe it hasn't gone so well. Well, then be like Nicodemus, who at the end made it right. Be like Nicodemus. Don't worry about the mistakes you made before. Start doing it right from now on. How do we do that? Just say, God, listen, I realize I acknowledge and repent of anything I have that I have against that have done against you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to live for you right now. And for those of you that are born again, that know the joy of the Holy Spirit, that know that living hope within you, give it away, give it away, give it away. Don't give them anything else other than that people can know the love and joy of Holy Spirit living in their life every day and that Jesus Christ is, is their Savior, not just for, oh, I'm out of, great, I'm safe now, I'm not going to go to hell. Let's give them much more than that, that they can know the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit with them every day. Amen? Amen. I believe